So to the scripture we're going to be looking at today as we kick off the series context, very famous passage in the Bible, one that we probably all know by heart, especially if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you watch Sports Center, this is just one, it is just everywhere, and it is Philippians 4.13. Many of you probably know it by heart, you can probably say it with me, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Very common passage of the Bible. So that's the one that we are going to be camped out in today. Let me pray for us one more time as we get started. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to look into your word, God. And I just pray that you would push us this morning. You would challenge us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take next steps in you, God. For some, we need to take a step of getting out of the seat and getting into the game, getting, getting involved in what you're doing here in the life of this church. For others, God, we need to take a step and get off the fence and make the decision to follow you. Maybe we've been here for a while and hearing about Jesus, but God, maybe today's the day that we make that decision to follow you. And God, for others, there's just other areas in our life, God, when we take a step with you. And I pray that today's message would be a push for us to do that and would help. And so, Lord, speak to us. We open up our hearts, we open up our ears and our minds to hear you, to be engaged with what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can you give me a big amen? amen. Awesome. So I've been in Oklahoma now for um, a while. I've moved here since 94, long enough now that I consider myself in Okie. And uh, as, as a fellow Okie, now one thing I've realized that we really like to do, I'm going to use we because I'm, I'm just lumping myself in here. I'm taking the privilege of being an Okie is we're really proud of something called redneck ingenuity. And redneck ingenuity is when you take something that is broken and you fix it with things that were not originally intended to fix said broken thing. And we all know, we, I mean, we can all fix, you know, and when you fix that thing that's broken, you didn't fix a broken thing, you jimmy-rigged it. Amen? You jimmy-rigged it, and you, you got it to work. And so, you know, the number one tool that we use when we jimmy-rig something is duct tape. Amen? Duct tape is just God's creation. There is a flow chart that goes around the internet that says if it cannot be fixed with duct tape or WD-40, you don't need it. It's not of God. If it cannot be fixed with duct tape or WD-40. And so, you know, redneck ingenuity, if you've got a pipe that's busted, you, you duct tape it. You know, if you've got a door that needs to be propped up a little bit, you duct tape it. I mean, this duct tape is the cure-all. It is the panacea for anything that ails you. Duct tape will fix it. Well, I didn't originally grow up in Oklahoma, in fact, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not originally from around these parts. Um, and so I grew up in a house. My mother is full-blooded Korean, you know, goes all the way back to whatever dynasty. I, I don't know. She's, she's just really Korean. She's not here today. Okay, good. Um, I can tell these stories. Um, and so she's, she's very Korean. So we didn't grow up, you know, with redneck ingenuity. We had our own version of redneck ingenuity, and um, it did not involve duct tape. And I don't know if um, this is common among Asian people or Korean people, but man, it was, this is how we rolled in my house. When something was broken, we did not use duct tape. We used this. We used packaging tape to fix it. Now, let me give you a few examples of how we fixed things uh, in the former Surratt household with packaging tape. So we had a bathtub where the tile was coming off the wall of the tub. And so, you know, when you have tile that's coming loose, typically, you know, there would be grout or thin set or caulk involved in this kind of process. Nuh-uh, not in my house. Packaging tape, those tiles, back up to the wall, run the tape over the caulk line. That is a waterproof repair, people. <laughs> that thing will last you. When we had, we had vinyl tile in the kitchen of our house, when that vinyl tile would start to come up, 
did we pull out said vinyl tile and replace it with a new tile and make sure, you know, we had the subfloor nice and flat and all these things? Absolutely not. Packaging tape to the rescue, that is a sturdy and durable repair, my friends. And finally, so in our house, uh, my mom lives in, in, in this house she's lived in forever since we moved to Tulsa. Um, she's, she's renting it. She could have bought it like three times over by now. And I, I digress. Um, so this house, you know, it's this cheap house, and, and the, the uh, foundation is all wonky in it. And so you know when you have foundation problems, your walls start to develop cracks, your ceiling starts to develop cracks. Well, in the master bedroom of this house, there is a gigantic crack that goes all the way through the ceiling, and the ceiling kind of does this. So did we call the foundation repair people? Did we get the house peered? Did we get it fixed? Absolutely not. <laughs> Packaging tape. To the rescue, packaging taped up that, um, that ceiling, and that packaging tape is still there to this day, my friends. My wife hangs her head in shame from my, my heritage and my roots here, but this is how I grew up, honey. This is just who I am. You, you knew this when you married. You didn't know this when you married me. I, I sprung it on you because I knew better. So, so here's the deal. When, when we jimmy rig something, whether it be with packaging tape or duct tape or whatever the case may be, you know, we can, we can kind of get by with it in real life, but we all know that... Surely there is a better way to repair a bathroom. Surely there is a better way to repair some floor tiles. There is absolutely a better and safer way to repair a ceiling than to throw some packaging tape on it. Because it's not how the tape was designed to be used, and it's certainly not how the thing that's broken was designed to be fixed. I mean, my goodness, in my house, this stuff never saw a box. It doesn't even know what a box is. You know, we found different ways to use it, ways that it was not intended to be used. And, and kind of the, the thesis and the theme for this series is this idea that we have a lot of scripture in our life that we kind of use, like my mom used packaging tape, that we have these certain scriptures that when things are broken, we just have these select few scriptures, we try to just apply them to everything that's wrong in our life, that, that when something's failing, we take the scripture and we try to apply it to there. And when, when we have sickness, we try to take the scripture and we apply it to there. When we need a financial breakthrough, we take the scripture and we apply it to there. When we're feeling lonely, we take it and we apply it to there. We feel like we don't have purpose, we take the scripture and we apply it to there. But I think, as we're going to discover here, is that scripture was not intended to be used like packaging tape. There's not just a few verses that were intended to be used to fix everything that's wrong in our life, that scripture actually has a lot more depth and it has a lot more context and subtext than that. And I think the thing is, we can get into a packaging tape mentality with scripture. We try to take a few scriptures and apply them everywhere, even if that's not how they were intended to be used, or if that wasn't the original design of the scripture. And see, this is a really important thing for us to understand, because the Bible, it's not just one book, it's a collection of books. It's really a library that you hold in your hands, and that library is complete with letters and poems and history and stories and all kinds of things. And if if we take the Bible out of the the intent of of use and we start misapplying it, we try to apply it to all these different things in our life, there's a lot of frustration that can then grow in our walk with God. There's a lot of frustration that can get grow in our understanding of God. In fact, I think it's so important that we learn how to interpret the Bible because we'll fall into one of two traps if we get it wrong. And the first trap is that we look at the Bible and we look at these packaging tape scriptures, we look at these things that we want to make work for every area of our life, and when they don't work, all of a sudden we say, well, it's not true. 
Bible says that God was going to do this for me. The Bible said that God's this. And the Bible said that I was supposed to have this, and it did not happen in my life. So the Bible's not true. God's a bunch of hooey. You have an existential crisis about your faith. I mean, it's just you, you start to implode because it didn't happen like you thought it was supposed to happen. So the Bible's not true. And the other side of that is, so you, you interpret the Bible that way, and you, you use this packaging tape scripture and try to make it apply to whatever works. And then when it doesn't come through like you want it to, you think, well... I still believe that God's true, but clearly something's wrong with me, that he didn't answer the prayer, that he didn't do what I wanted him to do or needed him to do in my life, that he didn't do what I thought the scripture said he was going to do. And so I must be the problem. God must not love me enough. I must not have had enough faith, or I must not have been good enough for God, or something's wrong with me, and I'm the problem because God didn't come through for me in this area that I thought he was going to according to what I read in the Bible. So it's really important that we learn how to interpret the Bible correctly because so many people wander away from faith because they think God is going to do something that he never said he was going to do, or they think God's going to act in a way that he really never said that he was going to act. But we have these scriptures that we look at and we just try to apply them everywhere in our life, but we take them out of their context. See, when you take a text out of context, all you're left with is a con. When you take a text out of context, all you're left with is a con. And I think for too long, we've tried to use Scripture in a way that isn't exactly what it was intended. And, and sure, it may work, it may make you feel better, but that's not how the Bible was intended to be. The Bible was intended to be a narrative that God had with us and a revelation of who he is and a revelation of his character. So we're going to learn how to get into this book that honestly can be mysterious, can be intimidating for a lot of us, and even, uh, even for me at times, you know, you read it and you don't quite understand what's going on. And so this series is going to be designed to help us look at that. So what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at a verse each week that is commonly, I feel, taken out of context and commonly used in a way that it really wasn't intended to be used at. And then hopefully by the end of this, one, we're going to get a better appreciation for the passage we looked at. But then two, we're going to be able to take some principles and apply them to our general reading and our general understanding of the Bible. You guys with me so far? Yeah. Okay, good. So the three things we're going to do to interpret the Bible correctly, and three tools, these are very simple. You're going to want to take notes, by the way, over this series. This is a note-taking series. Pull out your phone, open up your notes app. Um, if you have to use an offering envelope, I mean, just do it because it's so important you take notes. Um, so the three things you're going to do to interpret Scripture correctly. One, you're going to look at it in context. We talked a lot about the context already. Well, we're going to look at the scripture in context. What's the scripture before it say? What is the scripture after it say? What does the book say? When was it written? Who was it written to? What's the author's intent? All these things are really important when we look at the Bible. So number one, context. What does the context say? Number two, when we look at the Bible, we need to interpret scripture with scripture. And what that means is the Bible is the best authority on the Bible. When we come across something in the word that we don't understand, we need to look to the word to figure out what it says. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. And the third step that we take is we do this context, Scripture with Scripture, and then finally we apply it to our life. So we look for the application. So those are the three things we're going to do to every passage of the Bible we look at over this series. So the first passage that we're going to look at is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now this is a very famous uh, passage. This one is especially popular with athletes, with uh, people who are 
go-getters, corporate ladder climbers, you know, people looking to get that promotion. This is just such an empowering scripture. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can score that touchdown. I can hit that home run. I can run that extra mile. I can work those extra hours so I can get that promotion because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, this is such a popular scripture. You know, people become known by it. The boxer Evander Holyfield famously wore Philippians 4.13 on his trunks and on his uh, sash. I don't know what it's called, but the thing he wears, you know, when he goes into the ring, it's like, you know, Evander Holyfield, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, except keep from getting my ear bitten off by Mike Tyson. But, you know, Tim Tebow, the former quarterback, now minor league baseball player, famously wore Philippians 4.13 on his eye black, you know, and, and so that was just in what he became known for. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, except be an NFL quarterback. I can't do that, but everything else is good. You know, I did a Google image search for Philippians 4.13, and it's, it's all these pictures of people standing on top of the mountain, you know, and, and just kind of in this heroic pose thing. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can conquer every mountain. I can run every, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's kind of how we typically use this verse. It's one of empowerment. It's one of motivation. It's one of this thing. Whatever you want, you can do it because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So here's the danger with this is what happens when it doesn't work? What happens when you don't score the touchdown? You don't make the final shot. You don't get the promotion. You don't get the financial breakthrough. You don't lose the weight. You don't meet your personal best. You tried, and you thought you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength, but what happens when it doesn't work? When you thought you could do all things, but you can't and you thought you were going to meet that goal, but you didn't, and you thought you were going to have victory, but instead you have defeat, and you thought you were going to be further along, and instead you keep getting pushed back. What happens when Philippians 4.13 doesn't work like we think it should work? And, and this passage, I think, exposes a really big issue that we have when we come to Scripture, when we approach Scripture, is that we want to make ourselves the central character in Scripture, we want to approach the Bible. We want to make it about us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's about me. It's about getting what I want. It's about getting my goals. It's about accomplishing my dreams. It's about my plans. It's about my ideas. It's about my victory. It's about my success. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the through Christ part becomes this ancillary thing. It's like Christ just kind of becomes this thing that we tag on. And when things aren't working, oh, wait, I need to do it through Christ who gives me strength. And then we just kind of tag God along to us. But it's really still about our plans. It's about our goals. It's about our dreams. It's about our aspirations. And Christ just kind of becomes this thing that we need to make them happen. If you're a video game player, it's kind of like Christ is that that hidden item that you need to find in order to get past that level in Zelda. You know, it's like you got to have that one thing you got to find. And, and Christ is like, you know, we treat him like that. It's like, oh, wait, am I doing, oh, no, I got to have Christ with me. And now I can accomplish all the goals that I want to accomplish. But it's still all about us. And when we make ourselves the central character in Scripture, we approach Scripture through the wrong lens. See, Scripture is not a story with us at the center of it. Scripture is the story with God at the center of it. And if we read it with God at the center, it will make a lot more sense. But when we read it with us at the center, all we're doing is we set ourselves up for disappointment. So that being said, let's dive into Philippians 4.13. Let's figure out what in the heck this passage is saying. And this is going to be, once again, we're going to apply the three things we talked about. We're going to apply context. 
We're going to interpret scripture with scripture, and then we are going to apply it to our lives. So the, let's talk about the context of Philippians. Um, Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, and uh, Philippians was written to a church in the city of Philippi. And uh, Philippians, Philippi, get the correlation there. Now, the, the big thing we need to understand about the context of the scripture is where Paul is writing it from. Paul is not writing the scripture from his luxury office desk. He's not writing the scripture as he leisurely strolls from town to town preaching the gospel. He is not writing the scripture or this letter from a place of convenience or comfort. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he's not even writing it from modern day prison as we know. I mean, he's writing it from prison 2,000 years ago. So you imagine how luxurious that would be, not very. And so Paul is writing it from these circumstances. Very important we understand the context here of where Paul's writing this letter because it gives the verse more power when we read it. So now let's look at Philippians 4.13. One of the biggest things we do when we look at verses in the Bible, we have to understand, so the verses were not written like when Paul originally wrote the letter. He didn't write like each sentence and put a little number by it as he was writing the letter. He wrote a letter. I mean, he just wrote a letter just like you would write a letter to a friend or family or loved one. He just wrote a letter. The verses are added a lot later. So what's really dangerous is if we take a verse and just suck it out of the passage and just look at verses in isolation because that's not how the passage was originally written or intended. The sentences aren't designed necessarily just to stand on their own. They're designed to stand as a unit. They're designed to stand as a passage, as a letter, as a corporate, as a big theme. And so we have to look, when we get a passage like this, what comes before this verse? What comes after this verse? We have to look at the verse in its entirety to get a clear understanding of Scripture. Most of your biblical abuse and most of your biblical mistreatment comes when you take passages, verses, pluck them out of their context, and just have them stand in isolation. That's where most of your spiritual abuse will come from. When you look at passages in the context of what they're written, the Bible makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more cohesive. It it weaves together a lot better thematically if you will look at context and passages rather than isolation and individual verses. You guys with me so far? Awesome. All right, three of you are. That's great. Okay, let's go on. Um, Philippians 4. Let's start in verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Once again, he's writing this from prison. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, and this is where we're really going to hone in today, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We see this passage is not about achieving personal goals. It's not about winning football games. It's not about meeting your best and getting all the things in life that you want. This passage is actually about contentment. And so today we're going to spend the rest of our time together talking about biblical contentment and what that is and what that looks like in our lives. So what does the Bible say about contentment? Before we have this conversation, I need to confess something. I need to, I need to get this. It's, it's just important for us as we go forward uh, knowing about this. So I stink at contentment. I am not very good at being content. It's something I struggle with. It's something that does not come naturally to me. If you are a naturally content person, good for you. Um, 
but that is not, that is just not who I am. So some messages, when, when you get up and speak, just to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, you kind of speak out of your victory. You know, you kind of speak because you've walked that road and, and you know it and you've seen God do it and he's done it in your life and you're, you're on the other side of it. Some messages you share out of what you're working through and out of your own struggles and out of your own failures and out of trying to climb the mountain and falling down again. This one is more that for me than it is on the other side of this. So this is something that, that I continue to work through. But because of that, I give it a lot of thought. So this is something that stews inside of me all the time. It's, it's something that I continually wrestle with and have to come back to. So if it's okay with you guys that I share out of that space, then we can continue to move forward. But that's where my kind of moral authority to share on this comes from. It's really coming from this place of, hey, I'm working, with, I'm working through this too, guys. So let's dive into this together. I think the Bible says two things about, well, it says more than two things, but I want to focus in on two things that the Bible says about contentment today. The first one is that God wants us to be content with our stuff. God wants us to be content with our stuff. So Paul, writing another letter to a guy named Timothy, um, gets to expound on this idea of contentment. And so this is what he says to Timothy, who's a young pastor, in Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Oh, come on, Paul. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Paul, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's another passage that's always taken way out of context, by the way. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and pierce themselves with many pangs. So, tell you guys a story that paints me in an absolutely horrible light. Ready? Here we go. I used to work at an engineering company, and um, I was in business development, which is sales. I stunk at it. I was not very good at uh, this job, but one of the perks I had at this job was I got a car stipend. And so I researched and bought a very reasonable car. I bought a Toyota Camry that was just a few years old, and low miles, very reliable, very just, I mean, it was just a great, it was just a car, it was a great car. And the problem was, the bosses and the people I worked with, they all had amazing cars. Like, they had the brand new Ford F-150 Platinums, I mean, like, eight LED screens, like, why do you need that many screens in a car? I don't know, you know, button stacks, like, this big in the center console, and it's like, every time I would get in, like, wow, your car's so cool, there's so much there's so much to do, like picks up radio stations in Istanbul or something crazy like that. I don't know, it just does all of these cool things. And I would get back in my Camry and be like, yep, there's my car. And, um, and so I became very discontent with the Camry. And so what happened was I found this um, BMW 530i that uh, was five years older than my Camry, had three times the miles of my Camry, but man, I got in that thing, and when I put my foot down in that German engineering, oh baby, it was just, it was all there. And so I sold the Camry and bought the BMW. So you think, okay, great, I got a cooler car, got a car I wanted, which was fine for a few months, until all of a sudden, you, you know what's better than having a 2005 BMW 530i? Having a newer BMW, you know, and, and it's just one of those things where it just constantly, like you feel like you're going to be happy for a little bit. But then that, just, that new car smell wears off and the, the, the things fade and you find yourself constantly chasing that. The truth is that society, marketing, heck, all of capitalism kind of rests on this idea that what you have is not good enough 
and what you don't have will make you happy and will make you feel better. And the thing is, when we subscribe to that mentality, we are always chasing happiness. We are Because things are always going to be updated. The newer, the shinier is always going to come out. We're always going to be chasing happiness, and we're always chasing a movie target. So now let me stop here to say, it is okay to have nice things. It is not a sin. It is not a crime. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. If you can have a BMW, have a BMW. If you have a nice house, have a nice house. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a nice thing. There's nothing wrong with getting the new iPhone. There's nothing wrong with getting nice stuff. But here's the deal. It's cliche to say it, but it's just so true. We can own stuff, but we cannot let stuff own us. And it's so easy for us to find our identity wrapped up in our possessions. If you don't believe me, just just think about this. You know, you have Apple people, you have Android people, you have Ford people, you have Chevy people. I grew up in a Chevy household, by the way. My dad drove Chevy trucks. I still believe, sorry Stan, I still believe that Ford means found on road dead or fixed or repaired daily because that's how we grew up in my house. We were Chevy people. You have Chaco people, you know, you have OU people, you have OS, you know, you, we, we let ourselves become identified by the things that we have and the things that we own. And, and I go to this school, I have this thing, and, and it immediately sets us, I wear these clothes, you know, and it's so easy for us to let our identity become wrapped up in our things. But contentment is found when we find our identity not in our possessions, but in Christ that we find our identity not in the things that we own, not in the things that we have, not in the things we're able to accumulate, but we find our identity, our worth, our value, our joy, our happiness ultimately is found in Christ. And when we do that, then stuff takes its rightful place. We own stuff, but stuff doesn't own us. So God wants us to be content with our stuff. The second thing, God wants us to be content with our situation. God wants us to be content with our situation. Let's look again at this passage that Paul's writing. Picking it up in verse 11, he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Uh, Last week, we sent Wendy English out on a mission trip. If you've ever taken a foreign mission trip before, it's just so eye-opening. I went to Ecuador when I was a teenager And man, you want to talk about people that have nothing, people that have no reason to be happy. Everything in their situation, from their ability to access clean water and food to toilet, you know, plumbing, all of these things, you would look at their situation and say, you have no reason to be happy. You have no reason to have joy. But they are the most joyful, Christ-centered, you know, God-loving people you will ever meet because they've discovered the secret that Jesus plus nothing equals happiness. They don't need anything more than their relationship with Jesus and that their situation does not determine their happiness, but rather their happiness is determined ultimately by their trust in God and their trust in what God is going to do. See, I think there's a tremendous power that comes into our life when we do not let our circumstances and our situation define our contentment. There's just tremendous power that comes from that. When you allow God to be God in the midst of circumstances that aren't good, in the midst of situations that aren't beneficial, when you allow him to be God and you will find contentment there, why? Not because you're happy with the situation you're in, but because you ultimately trust that God is in control and he's working everything 
out. Contentment comes from realizing that God's in control and that we can trust him with our lives. See, it doesn't mean, I really need to say this, it does not mean that you just lay down and take whatever comes because you're content. You know, it's like, oh, lost my job today, so I'm just going to be content and sit on the couch and eat Doritos and, you know, play video. No, no, that is not contentment. You should absolutely work for things. You should absolutely try to make your life better. You should absolutely improve yourself. If you get stuck in a bad situation, you can absolutely be mad about it. You can absolutely cry when you get the bad report from the doctor. You can absolutely be scared when you lose your job. You can absolutely experience life and experience emotions when you go through things. But contentment is found not by emotionally removing ourselves from that, but realizing in the midst of all that emotion, in the midst of all that fear, in the midst of all that doubt, that God is still in control that he's still on the throne, that he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you can be content, not because you're okay with the circumstance, but because you trust God to get you through. You can find contentment in the midst of the worst circumstances. You can find contentment and a trust and a hope in God in the midst of your cancer scare, in the midst of your job loss, in the midst of your divorce, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, you can find contentment and trust in God in the midst of when you don't know how the bills are going to get paid, in the midst of when you don't know if you're going to be able to get up pain-free the next day, in the midst of all of the doubt, in the midst of all the fear, the muck, and the mire of this world, you can find contentment in God. You can find peace and hope in Him because you trust Him with your circumstance. You trust Him with your situation, that he is going to see you through, that he is going to see you out of it. We can find our contentment in him. And this is church, this is how we push back against this thing that says I am what I have, or I am, my identity is wrapped up in the things that I own, that, that I have to let my contentment and my joy be tied to my circumstances, that I'm only happy when I'm winning, that I'm only on top when everything's going my way, that God's only good when he's blessing me and when he's doing exactly what I want to do and that he's, he's only able to be worshipped when I have all the needs met in my life and I don't have to be afraid. Or I, you know, I, I live in the, the peak of comfort and that's only when God's good. There's something in us that can rise up and push back against that and say, God, no, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of failure, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of sorrow, God, I can trust in you and I can be content in you and I can find that not because of your strength and not because of my strength, but because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's what this verse is about. That's what this verse is about. It's not about just trying to meet our goals and get things my way, but it's about in the midst of the bottom falling out. Can I trust in God? Can I put my hope in him? Can I believe that he's still good and that he's still able? Well, I probably can't on my own, but I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me. Probably a better way to say that is I can get through all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can get through whatever. When we prayed earlier today, and pretty much every hand in here went up saying you needed a miracle, you can get through whatever that situation is through Christ, who gives you strength. You can get through it, not because of your strength, not because of your plans, your goals, your agenda, but you can get through it because of Christ, who gives you strength. So, scripture with scripture, I want to go over just a few quick application things, because this is so, this is so big that we understand this Contentment is, is not, you know, found in our stuff and our situations, but it's found in our identity and our trust 
in Christ. So how do we do that? Paul said he actually learned how to be content, which is cool, because for someone like me, you know, it, it takes away my excuse. Paul's saying, you can learn it. You can work on it. You can get better at it. So I want to give you a few things how you can learn to be content. First one is be thankful for what you have and not anxious for what you don't have. Be thankful for what you have and not anxious for what you don't have. In that passage in Timothy, Paul said, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Let me tell you something, that contentment grows in an attitude of gratitude. But when we become ungrateful for the things that we have, when we spend our time looking at what we don't have, it just feeds discontentment. It festers. It grows into something ugly. Because when we look at what we don't have, that's when discontentment will rise up. So we need to be thankful for what we have and not anxious for what we don't have. We need to develop an eternal mindset. Paul said we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. When you're going through that situation in life that you can't bear, when you're going through situations that aren't fair, that don't make sense, where God doesn't act like you want him to, where you didn't get the breakthrough, where you didn't get the thing that you needed, you didn't get the healing, where that person you prayed for ended up dying anyway, whatever the case may be where God doesn't make sense, we have to remember that we need an eternal mindset. And there's coming a day when everything's going to be fair. There's coming a day when it's all going to make sense. There's coming a day when every right where every wrong will be made right. But you know what? That day's not today because that is reserved for heaven. And if you operated like that, you'd be dead because you would be in heaven. And there comes a day when all that will be made right, but that is not for this earth. This is a time where we're going to experience struggle. We're going to experience, experience pain. We're going to experience setback. But he said we can have an eternal mindset and realize that heaven is our home. And finally, we need to pursue God and not our own agenda. We pursue God and not our own agenda. Paul said, I can do things through Christ. We tend to make I the big part. I can do things through Christ, but it's really I can do things through Christ, that Christ is the bigger thing. Christ is the door that we walk to, that we submit ourselves to, that the things I want are done through Christ. That means it's not about what I want, but it's done through Christ. It's about him. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the other things are added to you, that contentment is found when we say it's not about what I want, it's not about my will, but I do it through Christ. And so those are some ways that we can apply and learn contentment as we grow in our walk with God. So don't take Philippians 4.13 off your workout gear. Don't go home and shred your tank, you know, that has Philippians 4.13. Don't get your tattoo removed, anything like that. But, but I want, so, someone has a, I, I think, um, <laughs> I want the verse to be richer for you, that it's not just about winning, that it's not just about getting what you want, but the verse is about what you do when the bottom falls out. The verse is about what you do in your times of lack, just as much as it is when you have plenty, that what you do in the times where it feels like God is distant, just as when it feels like he's close, that it's just as much about what you do when you feel like everything's falling apart, that you can get through it because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so I hope that, that it's a verse of, of, of comfort to you in, in times of both defeat and victory and that you have a richer understanding of what Philippians 4.13 really is about, that in every situation of life, in every storm, in every trial, you're going to be okay because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength.